And I will build my house upon strong foundation and I will set my foot upon the solid rock and though the storms they blow sometimes the Lord is by my side the Lord is my, my foundation, He is my, my foundation. So the scripture reading this morning comes from St. Paul's letter to the early church at Rome. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And I want to share with you, I'm reading from the message translation. It's kind of a loose, modern translation of the scripture. And so if you're following along in your pew Bible or in your own Bible, um, it might read a little differently. But let us hear together the word of our Lord. St. Paul writes, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating. You're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it all before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you will be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. The Lord is mine. My foundation, He is my, my foundation, Lord, I need you, oh, I need you, every hour I need you, my with me and for me. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks for the gift of this day. We give you thanks for the gift of your holy and living word that we find in the scriptures. And we ask, oh God, in these moments now that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our strength and salvation. 
Amen. Well, good morning, church. I have to share with you that when Pastor Tracy asked me to preach this morning, um, and by the way, do you not have a fabulous preacher and pastor in Tracy? You are... You are so blessed as I continue to get to know her better um, in, a, in a wonderful, wonderful staff and many, many wonderful lay volunteers. So grateful for this church. But anyway, as, as Pastor Tracy asked me to preach this morning, um, one, of the, one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons I said yes is because I knew that it would give me the opportunity to stand before you and say thank you. Thank you, Westlake United Methodist Church, for all that you are, for your generosity your giving makes a difference in the lives of people literally all around the world. As United Methodists, we are connected globally, and your faithful giving over the years has gone to support things like the first major university on the continent of Africa. It goes continually to things like United Methodist Committee on Relief, people who are engaged in relief efforts in places like the Bahamas as we engage in worship this morning. They're there working to rebuild lives. So I thank you for your giving all the ways that you give. Because you give, I'm, I'm not here this morning to ask you to give. But I do want us to spend time together this morning asking the question, considering the question why we give. And to engage and wonder and challenge with one another how God might be asking us to grow in our giving? How might God be challenging us to grow in our giving? I want to share with you that on a, on a personal note, when we consider why do you give, on a personal note, I'll share with you that I think one of the reasons I give is because I was raised with parents that taught me how to give. Um, now, they didn't teach me by sitting me down at a young age and lecturing me about tithes and offerings. It was rarely through spoken words that they said to me, and it was much more simply the way they lived their lives. I caught how important giving to those in need and giving to the church was in their lives. Some of you know I grew up in a very small town near Corpus Christi, Ingleside, and I was raised in the faith in that small church of Ingleside United Methodist Church. My father was a band director, but my, my dad and my mom, they were those types of people that were always at the church when the doors of the church were open. I bet some of you here this morning are those types of people. And I knew, I knew even at a young age that on my father's school teacher salary, um, that there wasn't always a lot of leftovers. They were able to make ends meet, but what they did with their leftovers um, was driven out of their own relationship with money. Primarily, they never lived beyond their means, and it was also based on their priorities, giving to the church and giving to others. Now, when I was in high school, um, just as an example, and when I was in high school, one of my priorities um, was to get a Dodge Stealth. Now, I'm dating myself. I'm dating myself because those of you that are very young don't know what that is. Dodge um, stopped making the Dodge Stealth in the mid-90s. But this was a really cool car. And I had my eye on a black one. And I thought, I actually still think today that I'd look really good driving that Dodge Stealth. Now, it won't surprise you to know that um, in high school, my parents did not share that same priority with me. 
um, but giving to the church and my college education were their priorities. What is our relationship with money? What is our priorities? I, I would be willing to bet that most of you here today know people in your lives who serve as role models and remind you um, of the power of giving, people in your life that inspire you to grow in your giving. And I would also suspect that there are many of you this morning that are that role model for other people, and you may not even know it. You inspire people to give. So why do we give? That question was actually asked um, at a gathering of United Methodist clergy and laity um, many years ago. Why do we give? And having a lot of clergy and laity church members in that gathering, um, it will not surprise you that the laity um, had to stop and listen because the clergy had much to say, right? <laughs> the clergy had all kinds of reasons of why we give. Um, after all, they had um, preached a lot of stewardship sermons on giving. They had written a lot of newsletter articles about giving. They had talked to new members about the importance of giving. They wrote thank you notes to people who gave. Clergy had a lot to say. And the number one response from the clergy was something like this. Well, the church cannot survive unless all give what they are able to give. The church cannot survive unless all are able to give what they can give. Now, in, in defense of the clergy, they're probably the ones spending um, sleepless nights wondering how the AC repairs are going to impact the budget and those sorts of things. But after the clergy stopped talking... The lay people, the church members, were asked, so why do you think we give? Why do you give? The number one answer among all the laity is I give because it makes me more like Jesus. I don't know which answer you want to go with, but I'm going with the laity. <laughs> I give because giving makes me more like Jesus. Jesus, the one who gave his life for the sake of the whole wide world, Jesus whose love transforms a world that is hurting. Jesus, the one that we seek to follow as we sacrificially give of ourselves for the sake of love. Giving makes us more like Jesus. And I believe that giving is indeed a matter of the heart. It is a heart issue. Giving, I believe, is one of the things that God uses to stretch our hearts, to grow our hearts to grow in the love of neighbors near and far. I believe, I believe that many of you are here today um, because you know the power of giving. You know how it feels to give. It feels good to give to others beyond your own self-interests and to know that you're making a difference in the lives of others for good. Now, of course, the opposite, the opposite of um, of giving and growing your heart is a heart that is turned inward, a heart that is self-absorbed, a heart that is self-centered. It reminds me a little bit of the Grinch in The Grinch That Stole Christmas before he knew what Christmas was all about. Remember his tiny little heart that finally did grow? In fact, one theologian years ago, one theologian defined sin as the heart turned inward. Sin defined as the heart turned in on itself, self-absorbed. And we know what that looks like too, right? We know what that looks like. We've experienced it in our, in our lives. One example, um, 
Years ago, there was this television show, a sitcom on TV called Seinfeld. Now, you don't necessarily have to raise your hand in confession, but I bet there's some Seinfeld watchers in the crowd this morning. So in Seinfeld, if you've ever watched it, um, one of the main characters is this man named George. Now, George is one of those people that wants others to have a very favorable impression of himself. Um, So much so that he often lies about who he really is um, so that he can impress people. As an example, um, sometimes when he's out on a date for the first time with a woman and they're getting to know one another, um, he'll introduce himself and he'll say that he's an architect because he thinks that sounds smarter and much more interesting than what he actually does for a living. Then there's another episode that came out near the holidays It's near Christmas, and in this episode of Seinfeld, um, a lot of people are giving gifts and exchanging gifts with one another as the holidays approach. Now, George, George does not want to spend his money on other people, but he does want to be seen as good and kind-hearted and generous. And so he, he gets this idea that he thinks is clever, He decides to make up little postcards. Those of you that have seen the episode, you know where I'm going. He makes up these little postcards, and on the postcards is printed this message, a gift has been given in your honor to the human fund. (laughs) Now, later in the episode, his friend Jerry is talking to him, and he says, what is the human fund? George has a big smile on his face, a little twinkle in his eye, and he says, I made it up. Now... You know and I know that this is not, this is not what St. Paul had in mind when he wrote to the early church at Corinth saying, God loves a cheerful giver. This is not what God has in mind. God loves a cheerful giver. Instead, George had his heart turned in on himself. Now, as pathetic as George is, I have to confess that um, I see myself in him at times. The heart turned inward. I want to be seen as kind and generous, but is my witness authentic all the time? It's a hard question. I think back to how my parents raised me, and now that I have a child of my own, I want to teach her what it's like to have a heart that's stretched outward to the needs of others in the world. And I will share with you that I have a few examples, more than a few examples, of taking her to the store to buy a birthday present for one of her little friends that has a birthday party coming up. And I'll tell you that right as we walk into the doors of Target, my daughter, smart and sassy, she starts, she starts building her case about why she needs a toy as well. Now... Some of you might remember Mike Slaughter is a retired Methodist pastor, and years ago he wrote a book called Christmas is Not Your Birthday. And I have to remind, I have to remind my daughter, whenever we go to Target, it's not your birthday. Your birthday's one day out of 365, and today's not your birthday. And we've endured some tears at Target and some not-so-pretty scenes in public, but what I know, what I believe my daughter is learning is that there is a world beyond herself, that it is not all about her. And of course, as much as I want to lecture my daughter, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? 
<laughs> I can confess my own times living my life where I feel like it's all about me. What's in it for me? The heart turned inward. Giving and seeing beyond our own interests, it's a challenge, isn't it? At least it doesn't come naturally for many of us in today's world. It didn't come easily for the people in the early church either. The reading for today from Romans is a letter that Paul writes, and he writes it to a particular people at a particular place at a particular time, but I believe it's a word for us today as well. Eugene Peterson's translation in the message um, puts it rather bluntly. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking about it. And this has real practical implications for our relationship with money, but I believe it has implications for most all of our relationships with God, with people, with time. Do not be conformed to the ways of this world. The world tells us to be first and that being number one is the best. But Jesus came and taught us that those who are last will be first and those who are first will be last. The world tells us that whoever dies with the most toys wins. But Jesus tells a man to sell all he has and follow him. The world tells us to look after our own self-interests. But Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me. The world tells us that we should do all we can to protect our own self-interests and our own way of life. But Jesus reminds us that those who lose their life will end up saving them. The world's message is often about getting even, getting revenge. But Jesus preaches constantly that it is the peacemakers who inherit the earth. Time after time again, Jesus' way runs counter to the ways of this world. And when you and I accept the invitation to follow Jesus, we also become part of God's story, God's story of transforming the world for better. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read the news, I believe that like no other time, the world needs to be transformed for the better. We are overwhelmed at times with the daily news cycle. It quickly can spiral us down into a state of despair. Global migration, sending hundreds of thousands of people away from their homes because they are fleeing violence in their own country. Poverty throughout the world and in our own communities that cause many people to go hung hungry. Mass shootings in our country alone have claimed more than 300 lives to date this year. A beautiful planet that becomes more fragile year by year because of our inability to steward responsibly, a country that is becoming increasingly polarized. I know that this morning as I share, you are probably generating your own list in your own minds. Things going on in our own lives and throughout the world that cause us despair or anger, confusion, and even hopelessness. Yes, our world is in need of transformation. But the good news, my friends, the very best news this morning that I want you to hear is that God uses the church and people of faith as instruments to bring good and transformation to the world. In many ways, in many ways it's true that you, you are the change that we wish to see in the world. You are the body, the very body of Christ in this hurting world.
carrying signs of hope in the form of shoes to migrants at the border. You bless this immediate community with a message of radical inclusivity and love. You travel tirelessly to disaster-torn areas in this great state of Texas, particularly South Texas, as you use your hands to rebuild homes after floods. In so many ways, you are, the part, you are a part of God's transforming work in this world, and I celebrate you for that. One of the podcasts that I listen to is a podcast called Pulpit Fiction, and it's a couple of pastors. If you haven't heard it, you should look it up. You can't make this up, right? Pulpit Fiction. It's a few clergy that sit around and they talk about scripture passages, and in this one particular episode, in this one particular episode I listened to the other day, they were... They were considering the very questions that you've been considering here at Westlake United Methodist Church. In particular, the question, why church? Why church? And one of the pastors said this. He said, worship is not an activity we go to or a building that we drive to. Rather, worship is an invitation into a new way of life. Worship is an invitation into a new way of life. Yes, I thought, this is it. St. Paul tells the early church and tells us today that we are to present our entire selves as a living sacrifice to Christ. It's no small ask from God. You see, God doesn't want your wallet. God doesn't want you for just one or two hours on a Sunday morning. God wants all of you, your whole life. And this includes... This includes how I respond to the bad driver on Mopac. <laughs> this includes how I treat those people I say I love most when I come home at the end of a long, stressful day. It most in especially includes how I treat anyone that I would label an enemy. Everything. God wants all of us. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, if God, if God is using the church to transform the world, then the world includes you and me. I know I need transforming myself. Later today, if you have time or sometime this week, I'd encourage you to read again the entire chapter of Romans chapter 12. Because St. Paul begins with love of God, with giving all of ourselves to God, and then as he writes on, he begins talking about how we treat other people, including those that we would call stranger and enemy. Samuel Wells is an Anglican priest in London, and he says it this way. He said, church means giving up the fantasy that we can find fulfillment and righteousness alone. It means doing things at inconvenient times with eccentric people in sometimes clumsy ways, because life is a team sport, and on Judgment Day, God will have nothing to say to us if we think we can come without the others. This is why I church. There is no better response to the world's pain and greed, to our country's polarized warring madness, than to be in community with a bunch of different difference makers like you. Our life lived together in community transforms us for the better so that we can be a part of God's transforming work in the world. We give, we give to be more like Jesus. 
the one who gave his life for the sake of the whole wide world, including us. Amen. The Lord is my foundation He is mine my foundation Lord I need you oh I need you every hour I need you my Yeah.